Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis White. I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. And uh, this morning, in honor of Family Worship Month, I want to ask if there are any, uh, there may not be many, but if there are any elementary-aged kids who would love to come up and join me sitting on the steps, I want to start the sermon by talking specifically to you. So there might be five or six. I can see some of them. Don't be afraid of me. I promise I don't bite. But something fun might happen up here, and you don't want to miss out on that. And so don't leave me looking like a lemon. Come and join me. This is going to be easier at the second service. There'll be ten times as many kids, trust me. All right, let's come on up. Come and sit with me. Come and sit around the steps. Good job. Wow, would you, would you look at that? I'm even getting, like, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and this is amazing. Thank you, Haydens. <laughs> so, all this month, kids, uh, it's, it's Family Worship Month at Chapel Hill. You guys are with us, and we're going to have a theme for the month. Can you guess what the theme is? I spy. I spy. You've got it. How did you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. And all this month, okay, we're going to be asking, how can we spy God? Because we can play I spy to spy all sorts of things, right? But we're going to be looking at some stories from the Bible, and we're going to be asking, how can we spy God in them? And today, we're going to be asking, how can we spy God directing? How can we spy God directing? But maybe directing is not a word we understand. So let me try and help us understand it a little bit. Have any of you guys ever been to the theater and seen a play? Have any of you ever seen a play? Yeah, some of you. Have any of you ever seen the Christmas play here that we put on in December? Yeah, you've seen that, right? What sort of things could you spy at a play? Yeah? Props. Props, yeah. Lots of props. We could spy lots of props. What other things could we spy at a play? Cool, more kids. Um, forks. What was that? Forks. Forks, did you say? I don't think you said forks, but I'm not sure I understand you. Can anyone help me? Does anyone know what she's saying? No? Okay. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure you can spy that. I'm sure. What other things can we spy at a play? Anyone? The actors. The actors. Yeah, we can spy actors at a play. Now, the actors, they're the ones that we watch on the stage who are doing the play, right? Are they the ones who are in charge of the play? No. Who's, do you know who's in charge of the play? Anyone? The director. The director. The director's in charge of a play. Now, does anyone know what a director looks like? You do? Whatever they look like. Whatever they look like. Well, that's a good way to put it. They look like whatever they look like. (laughs) Seeing as you're so good at this, why don't you come and join me up here? Come and sit in this chair. So often a director is going to sit in a chair like this, okay? And and if they're... (laughs) If they're, say, you know, we're talking about directing a play, but they could be directing a movie. So if you're directing a movie, you'd have one of them, right? And you'd put that in front of the camera and kind of clapperboard it down. And so that's that's kind of what a director looks like. I know some of you can't really see. Let me move that back so that you can get a better view. But but there's something missing. Hang on. Here we go. Sorry, parents, this hair is lovely. I know. But there we go. How about that? All right. Still, still not, not, quite, not quite there. Don't worry, this is just a Sharpie. It'll rub off by the time school starts in September. Oh, there we go. All right. 
Now that's a director. So, so does anyone know what a director actually does? Yeah? Yeah, he takes care of what the actors do. Yeah, he tells the actors, I want you to go there, or I want you to do this, I want you to... And he doesn't just do it to the actors. Do you know who else is he directing? He's directing everyone. He's directing the lights, he's directing the sound. He's the one who's making sure that the play goes really, really well. And there's actually a Bible verse that we find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 9 which says this. It says, The mind of man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. What this Bible verse is telling us is that one of the ways that God works is to be like a director. It's saying our lives are a bit like a big play, and we're like the actors or the people in charge of the lights or the people in charge of the sound. We're we're the people in the play. But God is the one who is the director. The Bible verse, Proverbs 16, 9, says that man's mind plans the way. So the actors might be planning what they're going to do. The light people might be planning what they're going to do. But it says that the Lord directs them. And it's God who is the director, who is directing us in our lives. Now, this morning, I'm going to tell us all three stories, okay? And in a moment, you're going to head back to your seats, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell them to everyone. As you listen to these stories, I want you to ask yourselves, where do you spy God? Can I wave too? Yeah? Yeah? Cool. Mom, Dad, hi. Actually, my mom's over there, so I'll wave to her. I'm going to tell you three stories, and I want you to spy where you can see God directing. Where can you see God working like a director in each of these three stories? All right. Okay, you guys can head back to your seats. Thank you. You did a great job. Man, kids are fun. So like I said, this month is all about I spy. We're looking at how can we spy God on the move. And we've been journeying through the book of Acts for a little while now. We're going to carry on doing that, and we're going to be asking that question. How can we spy God on the move? And so this morning, I'm going to tell you three stories. I'm going to tell you Paul's story. I'm going to tell you James's story. And I'm going to tell you my story. Paul's story comes from the book of Acts. James's story comes from another person who is here at Chapel Hill. And my story is, is my story. And as I tell you them, I want you to listen and think, where can you see God directing? Where can you spy God directing in these stories? So let's start with Paul's story. This is, this is Paul's story. Now, if, if you've been reading through the book of Acts along with us, you've got to know a little bit about Paul. And we know that Paul has been called by God and he's been sent to uh, tell all of the people around the Mediterranean the good news about Jesus. The Mediterranean's a, a big sea in Europe. And so he's traveling around telling all these people about Jesus, going from city to city to city. And one thing, I don't know if you've noticed this, is that Paul seems to have kind of a pattern of the way he goes about things. When, when he arrives in a city, he starts out by doing the kind of same set of things in a row. He starts out by going to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue, that's where the Jews worship. 
That was their kind of the Jewish church in a sense. And the Jews were the people who had uh, descended. They were the like grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren of a man called Abraham. And Abraham was someone God had called and said, I want your family to represent me to the world. So the Jews were the people who represented God to the world. That was what he'd called them to do. And so when Paul who was a Jew, arrived in a new city, he'd go to the Jews first and he'd start telling them this good news about Jesus. And that makes sense because they were his people, they were the people God had called and so he went to them first. And he would begin to tell them that this Jesus, he was the one that God had promised, the one who was going to come and rescue the Jewish people and eventually the world. And the name that they knew this person by was the Christ. So he was telling the Jews, hey, this Jesus, he's the Christ. But I've noticed something else. In almost every city that he did this, he met with opposition from the Jews. The Jews said, he's not the Christ because Jesus suffered and died. And the Christ doesn't suffer and die. He's victorious. He rules and reigns. Jesus suffered and died. He can't be the Christ. But Paul would keep on going on and on. Jesus, he's the Christ. And eventually the Jews would start to get more and more angry and angry and angry. And eventually they'd basically kick Paul out of the synagogue or he'd just kind of go, whatever, I'm done with this. I'm going to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And he'd do this in every city. He'd go to the Gentiles and he'd start telling them about Jesus. And, and they would begin to believe and begin to accept. And, but then... In every city, almost every city, there would be a group of people who would rise up in opposition to him and try to hurt him. Now, sometimes they were Jews, sometimes they were Gentiles, sometimes it was a mix. But Paul saw this again and again in city after city. He got driven out of Pisidian Antioch. He got nearly stoned to death in Iconium. And then a few days later in Lystra, he literally got left for dead after being stoned. When he was in Philippi, he got put in prison and then finally released and kicked out of the city. In Thessalonica, an angry mob tried to lynch him. They didn't manage to do it, but they did catch up with him in Berea. Paul, again and again and again, came to a new city, told them the good news about Jesus, faced opposition, and then left to move on to the next city. That was Paul's pattern. That was how things went. He knew that. And so when we come to the story we're looking at today of Paul in the city of Corinth, we see the same thing happening again. Paul comes, tells them the good news about Jesus, and finds a whole bunch of opposition. So Paul is probably thinking right now, I know what's going to happen. I've got the opposition, they're going to form a mob, they're going to try and stone me or bring me before a court or put me in jail or kick me out of the city. So I probably ought to start packing my bags and work out what time the next boat to Ephesus is because I'm going to be leaving sometime soon. God, this was good while it lasted, but I guess you're calling me somewhere else. So that's the beginning of Paul's story. I'm going to come back to it later. Let me tell you James's story. Okay, James is actually our new modern worship leader here at Chapel Hill. He's going to be uh, starting his role this month, and um, he's not originally from the Northwest. So I want to tell you a little bit about how he ended up here. James is from Southern California. Uh, he's married to April, and they have two daughters that you can see up there on the screen. 
And uh, he, about two years ago, along with his wife, began to sense uh, some sort of call to the northwest. Now, they didn't really know why or, or, or what that was, but they sensed that, that God wanted them there. They didn't know anyone there. They didn't like, have any links or ties, but they somehow just sensed this is where God wants us. So James was uh, working as a mechanic on a marine, a marine base, and he put in a transfer request to the shipyard up in Bremerton, and it came through, and, and so 18 months ago, James came up to Bremerton and started his new job up here. Now, his wife and daughters had to stay behind because they had to finish out the school year before they would come and join him. And in those first few months, it was uh, pretty tough for James. He, uh, he's a Southern California boy, born and raised. He'd never experienced the liquid sunshine that we have to offer. Okay, kids, if you don't know what liquid sunshine is, ask your parents. Um, and his wife and his kids were a long way away. And so those first few months were incredibly difficult for James. He didn't really have any friends. He didn't really have a community And he began to struggle, and he began to question. He began to say, God, really? Is this where you've called us? Because it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like there's anything here for me. And so he put in a a transfer request to go back to the marine base down in Southern California, and and it was granted. And so uh, one day, uh, it was his last day at work up at the shipyard, he loaded up his car in the morning with all of his stuff, and he went to work, and he was ready to leave it all behind because he honestly didn't believe that God had called them here and that he needed to go back to California. So that's the beginning of James's story. Remember, I've got three stories to tell you. Paul's story, James's story, and my story. I'm going to start my story now. So my story. Okay, you all know I'm not from around these parts. Um, I'm here legally on a visa. And... uh, And just over a year ago, it began to become uh, clear to us that the the visa that we were on, which was a missionary visa, wasn't going to be able, uh, we weren't going to be able to stay on that any longer. We'd uh, renewed it a whole bunch of times and we'd reached our limit. And so we were going to have to switch visas. We were going to have to move on to a religious worker visa. Now, um, the, as we began to kind of dig into this, we, we started to realize that actually the missionary visa was, was pretty financially favorable to both the church and to us. It, it didn't allow the church to pay us a salary, but it did allow the church to uh, reimburse all our expenses and to provide housing and a car totally tax-free. And so it actually cost the church very little, and we were really well provided for But as we began to dig into what this religious worker visa would be like, it basically stipulated that I would have to become a regular employee. And and that would mean that it would cost the church more money for me to be here. And actually, I would end up receiving less money because there was someone else taking money away from the church, who you all know about, the tax man. And, um, And so, as we sat down and we began to crunch numbers, we began to realize, hang on, this isn't going to add up we're not going to be able to meet our expenses if we switch to this other visa. 
And so we began to enter into discussions, and we spent a lot of time talking with Pastor Mark and with the elders about this. And, and as we were doing that, we were also going through a really difficult time as a family. It was our first year of, of, of having kids, and it had been quite a, quite a tough year. It was that same winter that James had had to go through. We'd had to go through that as well. And, um, and we, we got to this place, really, where we began to question, had God really called us here? Because if God, if God calls you somewhere, he's going to provide and it looks like God's provision is running out. So maybe God hasn't called us here. Maybe he's calling us somewhere else. And so after lots of discussion and, and prayer, I went to the elders and Pastor Mark and I said to them, I think when this missionary visa expires, we're actually going to leave and, and go back to England. That's the beginning of my story. Three stories. Paul's story. James's story my story. All stories about people who felt called somewhere, called to do something. Can you spy God? Yeah? I can't really. It's three men, each of them with their own plans, with their own ideas. But keep your eye out. See if you can spy God as we carry on. Let's go back to Paul's story. Remember where we left Paul? He's in Corinth. He's facing opposition. He's seen it all before. New, new city, same old problems. He's probably looking for the next boat out of town. And then we read in Acts chapter 18 the following. This is in verses uh, 9 onwards in Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking And do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. See, Paul was in that place where he was going, I'm really not sure I'm supposed to stay here. There's there's opposition, This this is how it goes, I'm supposed to leave. And then one night, God appeared to him, got his attention in a dream, and said to him, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm with you. I've got work for you to do in this city. There are people here who need to know about me. And I need you to do it. So don't leave. Well, that grabbed Paul's attention. And we read in the next verse, it says, Paul stayed a year and six months. That's a year and a half. Teaching the word of God among them. Paul had never stayed anywhere that long on any of his travels. It had been maybe a few weeks, maybe even a few months. And then he'd move on. He'd face the opposition. He'd move on. But all of a sudden, because of a vision, because of God intervening and saying, no, I've got people here. I've got work for you to do here. Paul stayed for a year and a half in one place. And he saw a lot of fruit We can tell from the way God said there are many people in this city who are mine. We can tell that Paul saw many come to know Jesus. And we see in his his letters to the Corinthians him refer to some very powerful people within the city who who came to know Jesus. Synagogue rulers and and directors of, 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 of the public works of the city. Paul did amazing things in Corinth. But it took God getting his attention. He was thinking about leaving. But God intervened, directed him to stay. And Paul stayed 
and many people came to know Jesus. That's Paul's story. What about James's story? Let's go back and finish off James's story. Where did we leave him? He'd put in a transfer request to go back down to California. He packed up his car. He was at work. He was just about to leave work to drive that night down to California when he got a phone call. Picked it up. James, this is the, this is the Marine base down in California. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we don't have the job. It's like, what do you mean we don't have the job? I, I've packed my car. I'm driving tonight. I'm sorry, James. We just don't have the job. James realized that this was God intervening and saying to him, this is where I want you. I don't want you down in California. I want you up here in Washington. And so he made the tough decision, although it was kind of forced upon him, to stay. And a few months later, his wife and his kids came and joined him. And they began to push into this call that God had given them. They didn't quite know what it looked like. They still didn't know how they fitted in. James had been a youth pastor and a a worship leader down in California, but he couldn't even find a church up here. So he did what he knew he could do. He started sharing Jesus with his colleagues at the shipyard. And they started a Bible study in their homes. And they started inviting some of James's non-Christian colleagues, co-workers to come to this Bible study. And they started to see people coming to know Jesus and believe in Jesus. They started to see lives transformed for Jesus. And then they found Chapel Hill. And James found a place that matched, aligned up his gifts and his calling with with a church that felt the same way. And we've been able to offer him this this role of a, a modern worship leader. But he wants to stay working at the shipyard too. Because he sees that as an important part of his call and his mission, is to reach out to those people there. James was thinking about leaving. God intervened, directed him, said, no, don't quit. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I've got work for you to do here. That was James's story. What about my story? Do you remember where we left that? I just told the elders and Pastor Mark that we were going to leave when our, when our missionary visa expired. Well, they didn't take no for an answer. Um, one elder in particular said to me, Ellis, put this money stuff aside, all right? I want you to answer this question. Are you called here? Now, honestly, in that moment, I didn't know. I really, really wasn't sure. I didn't know where God wanted us. I was totally confused. They said to me, take the weekend. Think about it. Don't, don't make a final decision. And so I did. That weekend, uh, someone who we've been sharing about this with uh, sent a message to Rachel and I. And I, 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 I want to read you some of what this message said. I was reminded this morning of a similar time when we asked the same questions and wrestled over similar places. When we were about to leave overseas to do missionary work, our sending church made no commitment to us. I was very angry at the elders, and one of the elders was Uncle Sid, who was a missionary in some Caribbean island that I forget. 
And he listened to me asking, why don't you guys commit to a certain amount of money? Why do you expect the missionaries to live by faith and you guys don't live by faith? And Uncle Sid said this, you need this. That's all he said. By some miraculous act of God that somehow soothed me. And I have story after story of how I saw his mighty power on my behalf. Stories that, that would have been stolen from me. These, these stories are a mind to administer to others, to calm me in the middle of the night, to remind me of his true character when the world, flesh, and devil say otherwise constantly. They are the kind of experiences that no money can buy, that give us tools to truly minister to the world. I think the Lord is offering you this opportunity an invitation to hang on to only him and not on to anybody or anything else. When we received this message, we knew that God was calling us to stay. God was calling us, just like he'd said to Paul, not to be afraid and not to quit, but to believe that he was with us, that he wouldn't let any harm come to us and that he had work for us to do here. And I'm standing here today. And God has come through. God has come through because of the uh, amazing way that he works through his people, both in this congregation, through our families, through all sorts of crazy ways. We have no needs whatsoever. God has been faithful to provide, but we had to take that step and trust, and hold on to him alone. So three stories. Three people who all sensed that God had called them somewhere, but then began to doubt, started to wonder, "Mm, maybe I'm supposed to move on. Three times God intervened. God said, don't be afraid. Don't quit. I'm with you. I've still got work for you to do. And three times that these men could share a story about how God was present, about how God provided, and about how God was faithful. Great is his faithfulness. That proverb said, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Each of these men had their own plan, but it was God who was directing their steps. I spy God on the move, directing. And the truth is, he doesn't just do that in Paul's life and James's life in my life. He does that in all of our lives. But the question we have to ask is, are we listening to his direction? Are we paying attention? Will we hear it when he speaks? And are we willing to follow and obey? Are we willing to sacrifice and, and give up the things that we hold dearly onto? in order to answer that call of God. I spy God directing. Will we listen and will we follow? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good, good Father who loves us, who gives us good gifts. And God, I know that sometimes we can be in places where we can begin to doubt that that you're with us, that we can begin to doubt that you want us to be doing something, that you've called us to something. 
And God, I just pray that you would direct us in that moment, in those moments. God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us through your community? Would you speak to us through your word? Would you speak to us through prayer? Would you speak to us through circumstances? God, would you reveal to us how you are directing us, what you want us to do? God, would you be at work in our lives? And would you empower us by your spirit to answer that call, whatever it may be, to step out in faith, trusting you for the outcome. For you are a good, good father. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.